Good afternoon. It's 1 p.m., so we'll get things started. Welcome to the press conference for the Johnson County Emergency Operations Center for Tuesday, April 28th. Tuesday, April 28th. I'm sorry. Tuesday, May 19th. I'm Kelly Andreessen, Public Information Officer for Johnson County. Uh, thank you to those in the media reporting on this, to our community partners who are participating, and for those of you watching online. Just a few reminders, we are streaming this live on City Channel 4's YouTube page and on the Johnson County Public Health Facebook page. We are practicing social distancing, so we have limited the number of people in the room. And for those purposes, we have a few speakers participating via Zoom. And for those who are here in person, uh, I will bring in each speaker one at a time. They'll make their statement, and then we'll open it up for questions for that person. If you have follow-up questions with an individual, please touch base with me after the press conference, reporters, and I will connect you with them. We are taking questions from reporters virtually. Uh, thank you for your patience and your flexibility. And also, I uh, just wanted to let you know that this will be our last regularly scheduled press conference for this event. Uh, we will hold future press conferences if necessary, and we will try to provide notice at least the day before if we decide to do so. Uh, so let's get started. And uh, we will start with Dr. Teresa Brennan, Chief Medical Officer of University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Good afternoon, Dr. Brennan. Good afternoon. How are you all? Good. Uh, go right ahead. Thanks for joining. Very good. Um, so I'll start with our numbers. Um, so as of yesterday, we had 13 adult inpatients. That gives us a total of 176 adult inpatients to date during the COVID outbreak. We currently have two pediatric inpatients as well, and that increases our total number of inpatients uh, since the beginning of the outbreak to six. Um, I can tell you that um, we're seeing positive trends in our COVID numbers. Um, regarding the number of inpatients, our high or our peak was 37 inpatients on April 22nd. Um, and so uh, decreasing that down to 13 is, um, is good news. Uh, we also see that our percent of tests that become positive has decreased significantly. Um, on the 9th of April, we saw 31% of our tests that we ran were positive for COVID-19. Um, and yesterday it was 2%. Um, the total number of tests that we're running uh, for symptomatic patients has decreased as well. Um, we're really grateful to see this trend. Um, I want to speak um, uh, to the community um, and make sure that people are aware that this outbreak is not over. And um, as we open up the government um, and open up our um, uh, economy and uh, many different sites throughout um, the counties in the state of Iowa, I want to really be certain that people continue to practice those safety standards. Um, social distancing is still very important. Um, masking is, is very important, a cloth mask for source control, um, and frequent hand hygiene. So just because things have uh, gotten better and seem to be better, um, it doesn't mean that we're out of this yet. Um, so I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page with that. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Dr. Brennan. Uh, we have a question from Kate Payne with Iowa Public Radio. The Gazette reported yesterday that you are not treating any pediatric patients with multi-system inflammatory syndrome. Any updates and any patients being monitored for this? 
Um, that, that is correct. We have not uh, seen any patients with multi-system inflammatory system. Um, we, I will say that uh, syndrome, I will say that um, we're constantly monitoring our pediatric patients and our, our pediatricians are quite aware of the syndrome, um, but we have not seen any of it. We're not seeing any additional questions at this time. Uh, uh, we'll give it a little second. All right, looks like we have no further questions for you, Dr. Brennan. Thank you. Great, have a good day. You too, thank you. Thanks. All right, at this time, we have Margaret Reese, Public Information Officer for Mercy Iowa City. Good afternoon, Margaret. Hello, Hello, Kelly. How are you? Good. I will let you go ahead. All right. Bye. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, as of 8 a.m. today, we had six inpatients who are positive uh, for COVID-19 who are being cared for in appropriate isolation. And this is day 72 of Mercy Iowa City's COVID-19 response. This week, we returned to what we call a normal block schedule in our surgery department at Mercy. And while it's not a full schedule, um, it is uh, the normal schedule, and we are following all of the guidance in Governor Reynolds' most recent proclamation regarding surgery and procedures. We have a plan in place to address every element of the proclamation, including, but not exclusive to, testing all patients prior to surgery, having and utilizing correct PPE with adequate supplies in reserve, and conservation strategies in place to be available for surgeries and procedures as well as all other in the hospital and having adequate supplies and conservation strategies in place for everything else, including medications, equipment, staffing, and bed availability in the correct units with all safety measures in place for patients, colleagues, and visitors. To date, Mercy has successfully administered convalescent plasma therapy to 10 patients as part of a clinical research study with Mayo Clinic we have seen very positive results from this very common and continue to encourage anyone who has recovered or is recovering from COVID-19 to consider donating plasma. More information and the opportunity to self-register to see if someone is eligible to donate plasma is available on the Mercy Iowa City website by clicking on the learn more button on the COVID-19 banner at the top of the page. Mercy receives its blood and plasma supply from Mississippi Valley Regional Blood Center and the donation would be made to them. At this time, to be eligible, persons must be symptom-free for 28 days. Individuals can register or pre-register online or ask their physicians to register them. By donating plasma, an individual may be able to save the lives of others who are critically ill. So this is very important. Mercy has also now received a small shipment of the drug remdesivir to administer to patients. We received this through our affiliation with Mercy One, which has been approved to administer remdesivir. And we are grateful to be able to help our patients with this additional promising therapy. There is still fear on the part of many to access care, but please know that it is safe to go to the hospital or to the doctor. It is safe to access care at Mercy Hospital, Mercy Clinics, the Ambulatory Surgery Center at Northgate and at our other partner providers offices. 
Very often visits can take place by phone or computer via telehealth, and we have made that very easy and possible for most patients to access. There are real dangers in not seeking care and postponing treatment or a diagnosis, and we are seeing higher acuity levels in many patients coming to the emergency room because they delayed seeking care. This can cause real injury. It is safe to come to the hospital or go to your provider's office. In the hospital, patients who are positive for COVID-19 are cared for in areas separate from other patients in rooms with negative airflow. All precautions are taken to protect colleagues, patients, and visitors. Patients who arrive at the hospital are screened and then tested either in their car or in the tent outside the emergency room. Patients who are seeking testing through their provider are directed to the acute respiratory clinic or are tested in their car. We encourage everyone coming to the hospital or going to a clinic appointment to wear either a cloth mask or a procedure mask if they have one. We also strongly encourage everyone to wear a cloth mask and keep a social distance of at least six feet when out in public where there are other people. These behaviors greatly reduce the risk of infection for everyone. So as we work very hard at Mercy, as do others at healthcare facilities, along with our frontline emergency responders and workers in many places, to keep ourselves and others safe, we ask everyone in the community to please do their part to reduce the spread of COVID-19. We know that with many businesses opening up again, there may be a tendency to believe that the virus is going away, but that is not the case. So wearing a mask in public, keeping that social distance, washing hands often and sanitizing surfaces makes a very real and very important difference in keeping everyone safe. Thank you. Okay, I apologize for those technical difficulties. Uh, for any reporters who did have questions for Margaret or Rochelle, um, we will make sure to forward those on to them. Um, and we can also share Ro Rochelle's uh, statement and information that she was going to share. Uh, at this time, I'm going to pass it on to Fonda Frazier, Clinical Director for Prelude Behavioral Services. Thank you, Kelly. Can everyone hear me? Okay. All right, good afternoon. And it's a pleasure to be here um, to speak with everyone about the impact of COVID-19 on our services at Prelude Behavioral Services. And I'd like to start um, by just reporting some counselor caseload information and in terms of numbers of patients served. And then um, I will finish up with just kind of bringing it all together in terms of the impact of COVID-19. So um, I have one counselor who is an outpatient counselor who reports at this time she has 12 patients on her caseload, four to five are female, eight are males. In the beginning of the um, COVID impact, uh, she had four to five patients drop out. Um, since we transitioned to telehealth, in spite of reaching out, uh, the counselors via phone and mail, and um, this, those four to five have still not reconnected. Patients report being scared of the COVID outbreak during pre-existing conditions. Due to their pre-existing conditions, patients report being bored, having trouble from using 
staying away from using. Um, usually coping mechanisms, um, their com common coping mechanisms they're saying are not available. Um, the counselor of these patients reported that she is working from a person-centered and harm reduction theoretical orientation. Another outpatient counselor reported 14 patients on her caseload, six males, eight females, two have dropped out, two patients re report fear for their mental health stability, and the counselor reported that um, that she is seeing with patients that they're having an impact uh, as a result of this virus, uh, it's impacting their schooling. Another counselor reports 15 on her caseload, four male, 11 females, and uh, they're using, again, the telehealth. Six have reportedly dropped out. Patients report feeling isolated and it's starting to be harder to manage, not knowing whether it's okay to interact with family members that do not live with them. Uh, difficulty accessing services, not being really comfortable with telehealth, uh, not technologically savvy, um, bored, struggles finding employment. And the counselor reports that um, the impact on her has been sometimes the focus of sessions is a lot more on dealing with the boredom, frustrations, and not directly the substance use, doing more checking in with patients regarding how they're coping with the situation. Final counselor reported um, 22 on her caseload, 15 males, 7 females. Patients report their lives were relatively stable before COVID-19. Now that they're feeling more distraught, experiencing significant challenges due to housing insecurity, mental health, and other chaotic substance use prior to COVID-19. And the counselor reports that her theoretical perspective believes that substance use is an adaptive behavior to cope with unpleasant feelings, um, oftentimes stemming from past trauma, mental health concerns, or stressful circumstances. In conclusion, I would just like to state this. Staying connected to support services during COVID-19 pandemic is critical for all and the millions of people who are struggling with mental health issues and substance abuse addiction and recovery. This becomes even more apparent for people struggling with mental health addiction since social isolation can cause these issues to become especially difficult to manage. There's a lot of evidence connecting social isolation and loneliness to mental health and addiction issues. Some of the main concerns during this time include stress, anxiety, clinical depression, suicidal thoughts, disordered eating patterns, substance abuse, and other addictive behaviors. This is the reason it is so important for people with mental health and addiction issues to stay, to stay connected to help that is available to include supportive loved ones, friends, and involvement in AA meetings. AA is offering virtual meetings on TV 24 hours a day all over the world, and there are other self-help organizations for ongoing support. Also, persons reaching out for professional help, please know that Prelude Behavioral Services is offering telehealth services Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Persons in need can receive a substance abuse and mental health evaluation and ongoing counseling services. Prelude also offers on-call services. Call 319-351-43 after 5 p.m. on weekdays. On weekends, call at any time. 
and your request, you will be connected to a Prelude clinician. Again, that's 319-351-4357. We will listen to your concerns with compassion, understanding, and offer guidance and direction. The good news is there are many helplines, hotlines, and on online resources available, both nationally and locally, that are easily, easily accessible by phone, email, online during the coronavirus pandemic. There are virtual therapy apps, websites, hotlines, online meetings, where you can find at home support for mental health and substance abuse issues during the COVID-19 social distancing mandate. Since the stay-at-home order has been lifted, we must all continue to practice social distancing, be kind to each other, and recognize a smile from a stranger means more now than ever before. Thank you. Fonda, I have a question for you. Yes. Uh, so what about f uh, friends, family, uh, loved ones that may have concerns about other people in their family that are having difficulties through this stressful time? Are they welcome to call these numbers and uh, sites as well? Absolutely. Yes, they are. Um, Prelude accepts calls from family members, loved ones, neighbors, um, and they will just express their concerns. And we always are encouraging if they are in contact with the person or ability to get in contact with the person that they have concerns about, have that person reach out to us. But yes, we are very much open to the public, not just persons who are actually suffering themselves. Another question. Uh, so for those folks, uh, who for family members or friends who may not want to call Prelude right away, um, do you have suggestions for how they can talk with their family members or loved ones about issues they may feel that they're experiencing but haven't necessarily talked about before? Yes, um, it's a difficult conversation for many to bring up. Um, many are concerned about their loved one. Uh, many have tried to bring up the topic in the past and it has not always been successful, so they stay away from it. And right now, knowing that people are under a greater deal of stress, great deal of stress, um, people are more reserved in addressing these concerns. And at the same time, the importance of addressing those concerns right now is a very important period because we are all feeling stress. And so people are not alone and letting the person, your loved one, know that you are there for them, you are there to support them, you are there to help them get assistance is one of the best things that, that people can do for their loved ones. Great, thank you so much. Thank you all. Am I off? And to close out today's press conference, we have Sam Jarvis, Community Health Manager with Johnson County Public Health. Thank you, Kelly. Uh, today for our numbers, uh, the state of Iowa reports that we, for Johnson County, 574 positive cases 
uh, with 390 of those having recovered. Um, today we wanted to take a brief moment, uh, given all the changes that have happened uh, this past week and going forward, uh, but early on we began to track uh, and note the calls that we've received from the public and others about COVID-19. Uh, and to date, a good portion of those calls, uh, roughly 39%, have been about safety at businesses and stores. There is guidance from the CDC and the Iowa Department of Public Health, as well as many other public health experts around the country explaining what are safe actions or the safest actions that you can take at home, at work, and in public to stay healthy and avoid contracting COVID-19. And we certainly urge everyone uh, to review the advice from reputable sources, but also welcome you to connect with us because your business or your agency may have unique challenges. While most or much of the current guidance to stay healthy does translate to multiple settings, we're happy to discuss those situations with you, and we're encouraging businesses and agencies to call us. And with that, we'll take any questions. Uh, Sam, we've got one here from Lee Hermiston. Uh, the Associated Press has reported that Iowa is among the states providing information to those who have uh, tested COVID-19 positive to first responders. Is that occurring here in Johnson County? Uh, you know, uh, if I hear the question correctly, it's uh, have we had first responders test positive for coronavirus? Are, are we releasing information about people that are uh, COVID positive to first responders? So the people responding to some of those incidents. We have. So case by case, uh, we have been coordinating with our first responders to make sure that if there was uh, any breach in their, their protocols or their PPE usage, um, that we're making sure that they're, they've been informed of, of potential exposure. Yes. Okay, this question is from Kate Payne with Iowa Public Radio. Are we seeing any indication of impacts from the recent easing of restrictions? More cases connected to those expanded activities, et cetera? At the moment, no, we have not. Um, but we're certainly anticipating that that might be a possibility. So uh, while we have seen a downward trend in cases, uh, that's good news. Uh, we are still urging everyone to be cautious and, again, to, to look at all the lessons learned that we've worked through in the past several months uh, of hand hygiene, cough etiquette, and physical distancing. We're really wanting to stress that uh, to everyone as much as possible. Okay, and another question from Kate. There's been updates on how Johnson County Emergency Operations or the Health Department is supporting the county auditor for the June 2nd primary. What protocols will be in place to protect voters and poll workers at precincts? The auditor's office reached out to us early on and we've been in coordination with them uh, since that uh, to help plan and prepare for this. And so I think, uh, you know, we've had the auditor's office out here talk about the mail-in ballot, uh, and we hope that everyone took advantage of that and uh, was able to participate. And if uh, they are heading to the polls, that they'll, they'll more than likely see all the safety precautions that have been implemented. So, Sam, we've got one here from Travis Breeze from Cato WWL. Uh, he said, when talking about the county's numbers, you stated – the state of Iowa reports, does that signify that you are now taking the state's numbers or are they more closely corresponding to our county numbers? Those are our county numbers that the state has on there. So yeah. we've been doing the same practice. So a follow-up um, from Travis at KWWL. With only 81 new cases in the month of May, is it fair to say Johnson County has stabilized? Uh, you know, we're seeing that, that downward trend, certainly. But uh, again, uh, you know, that's good news. But, um, you know, because of gatherings, because of people not taking those safety precautions, we could see uh, an increase in cases in the future. And certainly uh, we'll echo what our, our healthcare partners stated today, that this is not over. 
Uh, and it's a good reminder that we, we've really got to implement those safety precautions as much as possible going forward until we can see potentially a vaccine or, or safe and effective treatment that's available for everyone. So. Okay, we have no further questions. We'll just give it a second and see if any questions come through. Okay, looks like that's it. All right, thank you again. Thank you, Sam. Uh, that concludes our press conference for today. As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, this will be our last regularly scheduled press conference for this event. Uh, if we feel the need to hold an, any additional future press conferences, we will make sure to notify uh, the media and the public uh, at least the day before. Uh, and um, as I mentioned to those reporters, our apologies for the technical difficulties. We will forward any questions asked of Margaret and Rochelle uh, to them, and we will also share Rochelle's statement with you as well. Thank you, and be well.